What's up, guys? Welcome back to Nick and Mikey Take On, a bi-monthly podcast where we discuss uh, a whole bunch of nerdy shit all around a particular theme. Um, books and movies, uh, TV shows, video games, comic books, whole bunch of stuff. Um, before we get started today, we wanted to do a quick uh, couple housekeeping things. Yeah, um, we, we totally screwed up last time. Yeah, we totally forgot to talk about some stuff last week. Um, first thing, um, I want to give a big shout out to... Um, uh alan uh mankey uh and the lore podcast um you guys can, should go check that out um you can look it up them up on lorepodcast.com or look them up and just lore uh search for lore under podcast and itunes um it's a really awesome it's super it's awesome. a really cool podcast yeah. um he's a alan mankey is a uh a horror uh writer um and he does this podcast where each episode is about 20 to 30 minutes long, um, but he discusses like the, the lore and the backgrounds um, behind uh, monsters and scary stories and urban legends and stuff. It's really cool. It's really interesting. Um, and he's, his podcast is actually where um, I got a lot of my information yeah, about we, the history of zombies. The zombie one, yeah. For last, it's really cool. Week. You should listen to that. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really interesting podcast. Um uh, he does a really good job with it, um, so you guys should uh, definitely check that out. And uh, you guys might have also noticed last week we had a new theme song. Yeah, we can't really fault us on the housekeeping <laughs> on this because I wasn't planning on putting a new theme song sure. on. Um, but yeah, if you notice, our theme song is super awesome now. It's by a chiptune artist named Azura Flex. Flux. Azura Flux. Sorry, yeah. guy. Uh, but he's a Portuguese chiptune artist and i just stumbled across his stuff yeah sent him a message so this is your shout out dude keep it up um it's really awesome listen to all of his stuff because it's it makes me want to fight 8-bit style <laughs> yeah constantly I constantly want to get in battles with things around my house yeah it's super great the the song we use is called i ate all the snacks <laughs> off of his ep called pocket boy so check that out it's really awesome check it out you guys all right hey mikey yeah what uh what are we talking about this week? Uh, this week we are talking about retro, retro games. More sound effects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll edit those in. Yeah, pew, 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 pew. but I won't. But I won't actually. Uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about uh, retro video games today, you guys. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed. I don't know about if you guys enjoyed hearing it. Um. But I really enjoyed talking last week about like sort of the history behind zombies before we really got into it. Let's, let's stop acting like we're doing this for other people. <laughs> this is just for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to talk about the history of uh, video games uh, right now real quick. Um, so uh, video games, um, I'm sure a lot of people out there who are listening, um, i.e. the two of us when we're editing this, right. um, <laughs> play video games. Um, but video games are very different now, obviously, from when they started. Um, actually, the very first video game um, goes all the way back to uh, 1958. Um, but it was basically... Halo, just, right? Yeah, Halo, back in 1958. <laughs> it was a game called Tennis for Two. Oh, yeah. And it was literally just like this round screen on this enormous computer um, in a lab where you saw a little light bulb to like bounce back and forth. Basically, like... It was it was pre pong pre pong like, <laughs> um, but actually before that there there were games on computers before that, but there were games like tic tac toe and they were really only used to showcase like a computer's 
um, processing and uh, computing capabilities. They weren't actually like designed for entertainment, but Tennis for Two was designed for, enter- for to entertain people. Right. Um, and then in 1961, um, a group of students at MIT um, invented a game uh, for the computer, the PDP-1, called Space War. Space. Who made, did you, sorry if you mentioned it before, but who did uh, Tennis for Two? Tennis for Two um, was designed by uh, William Higginbotham. 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 And it was built um, by a uh, programmer named uh, Robert Dvorak. Okay. So, and uh, the guys who designed Space War were uh, Steve Russell, uh, Martin Greta, uh, and Wayne uh, Wittonen. Um, so they, they thought of the game, um, and the, it was inspired, they were inspired to make the game um, by a, the, the works of a science fiction writer by the name of E.E. E. Smith. Um, so basically the game is like um, two spaceships fighting each other. Okay. Very rudimentary. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was like... Sweet graphics though, right? right? Pixels shooting at other pixels. Cool. Pixels shooting pixels at other pixels. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Um, but one of my favorite parts about the game... Um, was that it was only available, uh, obviously, because it took this like enormous computer to run the game um, in the 60s, and it was only available in labs that had a PDP-1, and they had to start removing it from the computers because people would, like, you'd have to, like, reserve time to work on the computer and things right. or do stuff with it in, 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 like, technology departments, and people were reserving too much time to play Space Good. War. Good. Like all these, all these nerds in the sixties are like, yeah, I want to shoot pixels at the other pixels. Yeah. So that was sixties. When was tennis for two? Tennis for two um, was uh, nineteen fifty eight. Holy cow! So that was um, yeah. So Space War was developed in sixty one. So three years after uh, tennis for two. Um, but that was basically video games until um, the seventies. Um, and then in the seventies, uh, in nineteen seventy two, there was this amazing. <laughs> Amazing game console <laughs> called the Magnavox Odyssey. And it had, I, yeah. You're about to blow my mind because I, I don't I'm think about I've to blow ever... your mind. This game, so this is, it was a console and it had cartridges you put in, um, but the cartridge basically like changed where the little light pixels could move around in your TV screen. Oh man! And then it was like um, a transparency that you like taped on your TV screen. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so it was like, you can play hockey. And so it was like, you put this like hockey thing, a hockey rink, like transparency over your uh, TV. And then these little light balls like <laughs> moved around. Wait, so what would the controller be? So the controller was just like, uh, it was like a, a little box with like a spinning wheel on it. Like okay. It just turned like the wheel. <laughs> and it just changed. And it just like moved your guy like up and like your, your little, little light ball up and down. There was one. It was like, you can do skiing. And it was like this ski slope thing you taped to your TV. And you had to like guide your little light ball down like this the slope. Like it wasn't, it, you controlled the speed and wherever it went. So like you could stop in the middle of the hill. But I guess like the point of it was like. Ooh, let's see. Watch your family members and see how closely they can do this game. Weird. Did you have one of it's these? Super weird. No. When no, no. We, they the, co- they they completely disappeared because they were shit. <laughs> but that that was the seventies. That was seventy two. Okay. So that was seventy two. Um, now at the same time in seventy two, um, two other guys, um, uh, Nolan Bushnell. And uh, Ted Dabney 
um, also invented a company, which you probably recognize other than the Magnavox Odyssey, and that was Atari. Ah, I think <laughs> I've heard of it. Yeah. So in 72, uh, Bushnell and Dabney invented uh, Pong, mm-hmm. um, which when they first came out with it, it was just a standalone arcade game. Um, and people could, so people could go to like theaters and bars and stuff and play Pong. And um, one of the cool things is I was listening to an interview with them and they were saying like when they were programming it, they had to change the programming at the last second because originally the little like paddles that hit the ball back and forth could go all the way to the top and the bottom of the screen. Um, oh, okay. And they had to change that. So like there was a little bit of space that it couldn't go to. Um, otherwise you could play the game infin- infinitely. Right. There's no getting past it. <laughs> right, there's no getting past it. Um, so they had to change it. So like there was just a little gap that you could hit it through. Right. Um, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so they built, they developed that in 72. Um, and then the, uh, Atari 2600, which is probably the console that most people are familiar with. Or like if you had a console growing up, um, and it was before you you lived in the late seventies or early eighties. You probably had an Atari twenty six hundred, um, and that's right. like the classic Atari that everybody thinks of. Um, but that didn't come out until seventy seven. So there were five years there where the, well, basically the video game you could play was Pong, and you could play right. it like in a movie theater. <laughs> oh, so it, it wasn't even a home it. console. It wasn't even a home console at that point. Yeah. So the Atari twenty six hundred didn't come out until until seventy seven. Um, and then it was discontinued in 83 when they came out with the Atari uh, 2800. What was the first one? What number? 2600. 26. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the 26 and 28, like what the differences between the two of those are. Where's the 27? Yeah, right? They just skipped that one. <laughs> it's the Dreamcast. <laughs> the Dreamcast is an amazing gaming machine. It, it is. Um, uh, yeah. So, But then, so after the Atari 2600 came out in 77... Um, like the next couple of years turned into sort of like um, what they what people refer to as the golden age of arcade games. Yep. So this is when. So let me just go down a uh, rundown. I made I made a list of some some uh, titles you might recognize that came out during this time. Okay. Uh, Nineteen seventy eight, Space Invaders. Yep. <laughs> uh, Seventy nine, Asteroids. Yep. Yep. Uh, Eighty, Pac Man, Defender, <sighs> Missile Command. Pac Man is yeah, that the one with the turtles? There's turtles in it. I think. Uh, in 81, Donkey Kong, Galaga. In 82, Miss Pac-Man, Cuber. God, there's so that's in three years. Yeah, all those titles. That this is this is so this was between 78 and 82. Uh, Space Invaders, Donkey Kong, Galaga, Asteroids, Pac-Man, Defender, Missile Command, Miss Pac-Man, Cubert. Like all of those came out in those five years. Um, and it's it's called the Golden Age because all these arcade games were getting released. And from in, in 1978, when it started, the gaming industry, arcade gaming industry um, was about a three, 300, roughly $300 million a year industry. Okay. By the, by 1982, it was an, an almost $9 billion industry. Wow. <laughs> like the, the games just exploded. Um, and there were like, it was just so incredibly popular. Well, yeah, I mean, you see pictures from that era, and they're all over the place. Pizza mm-hmm. shops, restaurants, movie theaters, right? And there's arcades everywhere, right? Exactly. Like this is the time, the time, like when a time when people, right? Would there just be these enormous arcades with dozens of copies of these games, and people just standing there for hours, putting right. quarters in. Um, unfortunately, then in 1983. 
um, the market kind of crashed. The industry, the industry itself kind of crashed. Um, and it crashed for a couple reasons. Number one, it crashed because basically, um, so they, they had the Atari uh, home console. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of at this time, too, they also had... Um, so the Atari 2600 was kind of like the first gen, like that, and like the Magnavox Odyssey were like the first gen consoles. Right. And then between then, uh, you have other consoles coming out, um, like uh, ColecoVision. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> then the, the the industry kind of crashed in 1983 because you had all these game gaming um, consoles, and the companies were creating their own games, like Space Invaders and Galaga and Pac-Man and stuff. But then we also had, there were just a ton, because this industry exploded, there were a ton of people, third-party producers, just creating their own, like, shitty games. Right. And there were so many crappy games out there um, for consoles that basically the console market just crashed completely, and people were turning more to, like, the the more basic um, games you could play on um, computers at the time, like the early Apples and stuff. Like early Apple and IBM. Wait, so the crap games are why the consoles crash, or why yeah. the arcade? No, like why, like why the consoles and like I mean, arcade, arcades still kind of kept doing pretty well because those games, they the those third party um, game producers weren't making arcade versions of their shitty games; they're just making console versions. Okay. Um, so their arcade games were still fine, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, basically, like consoles, like almost disappeared in 1983. Um, because wow. there were so many shitty games out there. Um, but there was that. And, um, but it, it also, so the, this crash led to, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, the Atari mass burial. I think is this have something to do with ET? Yeah. 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 E. <laughs> yep. I've heard of this. Yeah. There's a documentary about this. Yeah, actually, there's a really awesome documentary. Like, if you want to learn more about, like, any of this history stuff, there's a really awesome documentary that came out in 2014. It's on Netflix. It's just called Video Games, the movie. Yeah. Um, it's really great. There's a lot of, um, like, super nerdy people um, in it. Uh, like, uh, um, uh, Will Wheaton's in it. Um, and a bunch of the game develop like, early game developers. Um, Ernest Klein, who wrote the book that we're going to be talking about a little bit later. Oh, yeah. Uh, is in it. Um so yeah, no, it's it's really cool. It's a really good documentary. Um, so if you want to learn more about this stuff, um, but yeah, so there's this great mass video game burial <laughs> in '83 where basically Atari ended up throwing away seven hundred thousand copies of the game ET because they were it was just broken. It's garbage. And garbage. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a hastily put together game. They didn't focus group it. Like, they didn't let anybody play it before they right. put it on shelves. And it was, like, the most anticipated game of that year. Because, um, like, the movie had just come out. It was almost Christmas. They're like, yeah, we're releasing this just for Christmas. Um, but subsequently, like, they ended up throwing a bunch of consoles away, too. Like, they just scrapped, like, thousands of consoles, too. So there's a landfill in, in New Mexico that's just full of <laughs> Atari ET games. Oh, wow. Um, but luckily... Um, I mean, un- it's un- unlucky for Atari, right? Which basically went bankrupt at that point. Um, but it's lucky for us now because Atari going bankrupt, um, and uh, and and basically the Atari like disappearing. Um, the Atari didn't really completely disappear until like ninety three. Um, 
but um that this crash of Atari and uh and and their mass burial of shit like led to the rise of other gaming companies like Sega and Nintendo. Um so it was after this time that uh Nintendo released um the Nintendo Entertainment System the NES which was an 8-bit console um and was just so much far further ahead um than than the Atari 2600 or 2800. Um and I think that rise in Nintendo um in the early 80s um, has really led to where video games are at now. Absolutely. Um, and that's mostly to do with um, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, who, for those of you who have no idea who Shigeru Miyamoto is, um, if you like Mario, Donkey Kong, Legend of Zelda, Star Fox, F-Zero, Pikmin, Pokemon, the Wii... If you like video games. Basically, if you like video games that tell stories... Um, you like right? You like good video games. Uh, you have Shigeru Miyamoto to think. Like everybody, everything that's been done in video games since the early '80s has basically been like based on or kind of copied from Shigeru Miyamoto. Which like he's he's a pretty awesome dude. He start he's he joined Nintendo in '77, so six years before all this happened, um, and that was right when Nintendo decided to take a gamble. <laughs> Yeah. And get out of the playing card industry. <laughs> I forgot they were a big playing yeah, card. Yeah, they made originally made playing cards. So they've been, the company's been around since 1889, um, but they originally made playing she, cards. Oh, yeah, I did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, then they switched over to video games um, uh, in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s. Um, but I think uh, one of my the coolest things about Miyamoto um, is uh, that after his like initial success with Nintendo, um, he's been famous for with like Mario and Donkey Kong. He's been famous for not focus grouping any of his games. Really? Like he didn't focus group like uh, like Legend of Zelda, Star I Fox, didn't know any that. of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and he th- because he thinks that he has a, his philosophy is when he's playing it, if he thinks it's fun, other people will think it's fun. Well, yeah. Um, and he no most notably like did this with the Pokemon franchise. Like they did not focus group that at all. And basically he, there's this quote I found from him about, about Pokemon saying that, um, that the point is not to make something to sell, um, but, or to make something popular, but to love something and make something, um, that the creators can love. So it's not, it wasn't about trying to make money, which was, like, the big downfall, like, that led to E.T. Right. Turning into sh- such a shithole. Um, but it was to make these games that people wanted to play, that people got invested in, um, and to tell stories with them, which, so, like, him, I think, more than anybody else, like, really revolutionized the gaming industry. Absolutely. So. Um, but that's just kind of, like, I don't want to go too much further past the NES and, like, the Sega and stuff. Right. Just because then we're starting to get out of, like, what, yeah, what I would refer to as not retro games. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to we're gonna stop with the history there. But, again, like, if you want to learn more about the history, go check out that documentary on Netflix. It's just called Video Games, the Movie. But don't you worry. Your history lesson isn't over. It's not over yet. Um, I looked into the history of geek and nerd culture. Ooh. Would, how would you define a geek versus a nerd? Um, I would define a geek as um, somebody who is, I don't know, this is hard because I, like, I have my personal, like, um, I could probably give you a definition of geek, like, oh, someone who's, like, super into science. Um, 
But I always think of a geek um, with uh, that Simon Pegg quote. That's like geeks are just people. I'm completely paraphrasing here, but like geeks are just people who are um, very passionate about something. And right. They're, they're not afraid to show that enthusiasm. Right. Um, and a nerd is a fictional creature made up by Dr. Seuss. Absolutely. They kind of <laughs> became synonymous with yeah. each other. Yeah, um, they did. But Wikipedia says a geek is described as an eccentric or non-mainstream person. Okay. But a cool fact is geek kind of came from um, carnival, like carnies who would do grotesque things like bite off heads of chickens. Oh, what? Like they used to be known as geeks. (laughs) Yeah. What? Yeah, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. Like if you're doing something that popular like mainstream culture doesn't sure. completely agree with and like, like that like spending hundreds of dollars on playing galaga or biting the heads of chickens or sitting in a basement with a bunch of friends acting like you're a wizard <laughs> yeah all geeky weird things um, but yeah you're right uh nerd first appeared in if i ran a zoo Ooh. by dr seuss in yeah. 1950 which is kind of cool because that's right around when all this started really taking yeah. off all the IT stuff. Um, so kind of I got a lot of this, most of this from PCWorld.com. They have a really cool article of kind of the like timeline. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like so the 40s was the IBM era mm-hmm. with like you said, the giant full room computers <laughs> yeah. uh, and the guys wearing white button up shirts with the horn rim glasses. and thin black ties the very typical geek squad kind of i think what most people if you ask people to picture or draw a nerd right or a geek like that's what they'll draw right and then it led to a really cool transition into the 60s with like the hippie uh geeks or nerds where it was mostly like uh programmers or pirates or hackers Mm -hmm. and they um kind of were rebelling against this whole ibm straight like suits basically um and that's where the whole like nerd uh uniform comes in with you know shorts and t-shirt no matter what like with sandals and everything (laughs) it's a bunch of these hippies just coding stuff that's really interesting I didn't know that, like, because, like, right, there is, like, this fashion you associate with nerds and geeks. Right. I read a funny article. It was, like, no matter what the season, like, it's almost like they do it on purpose. They don't, uh, like, they don't dress appropriately for the season. Like, they'll just wear the same shit (laughs) all through through the year. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, and then, like you talked about, it went from that and transitioned into the gamer. Because that's when Atari and the Nintendo Entertainment System and everything came out. And now all of a sudden, uh, you don't have to be smart or techie to be really passionate about these things. You can just sit at home inside instead of playing outside. Yeah. And become a master of Zelda or Mario. Oh my god, I love Zelda and Um, Mario so much. And then, so it was like the 70s and into the 80s. And then the 80s kind of formed this pop culture view of the geeks and nerds you got revenge of the nerds steve urkel yeah doogie hauser screech like all these like super popular like tv sitcom yeah um but like even back then it still wasn't 
super popular or, you know, like as mainstream as it is now, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I think if anybody, if if you polled most people and asked them who would they rather be on Saved by the Bell, Zach or Screech, most right. people would probably pick Zach. Right. But I think that was a very important role of like opening the door to oh yeah that charming nerdy guy yeah absolutely um and then in the 90s we get into the whole google era of (laughs) you know i'm a professional but i'm laid back with my you know doc martens and um so they try to become more but now i think it's transitioning back into i guess just because i associate mostly with the gamer Mm -hmm. side of it i'm not super techie or But I feel like a lot of that is starting to bleed together. Yeah, well, and that's one. That's the one of the things I like. That's what I like most about that um, quote from Simon Pegg that I mentioned. It's that geeks and nerds, which I I use the term. Like, yeah, I I, I think I, that's like, fair. I, I I you know use use the same term to mean the or both terms to mean the same thing. Um, I know that there's some people who are like, I'm not a nerd, I'm a geek. And right. People are like, I'm not a geek, I'm a nerd. And it's like, okay, fine. Like, I think geeks tend to be more like tech focused, while nerds tend to be more like science, academia. Yeah, see, I always thought it was like more based. intellectual. Yeah. If that's even fair to say. If, but. Right, if that's even fair to say. But I, I use the terms interchangeably. Um, but that's what, one of the things I like most about that Simon Pegg quote is that he's ba- he basically says like, you can be a geek or a nerd about anything. Yeah. Like, you can be a beer nerd who mm-hmm. just loves learning about beer. And that's a thing now. I drinking mean, all sorts of beer, right? You can be a book nerd. You can be a – like, there are sports geeks. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you – like, I, and I, I, try to, I try to point this out to people um, who, like, will, like, give me crap, like, um, about liking things. And it's like, sure, I might know, you know – I might have a list of every, you know, spell that is used in the Harry Potter books or right. know way too much about Star Wars and the expanded universe. Um, but it's like there are also people who know, like, you can ask, like, okay, who is the pitcher for this team in this year? And they'll be able to pull it up right off the top of oh, their yeah. head. And it's like, I, yeah, you're a sports nerd. I feel like sports nerds are some of the most detailed oh, yeah. nerds I've ever met. Yeah. Like, they can pull stats from entire teams yeah. decades and decades ago. Yeah, right, exactly. And it's like, it, yeah, it's you're just you're a nerd. You're just a sports nerd. You're your own kind of nerd, and that's awesome. Like, be the kind of nerd you want to be. Actually, I want, I want everybody um, out there who's listening, um, if you could, like, I'm just curious what kind of nerds uh, we got listening to the, the podcast. So, like, um, if you could tweet at us, um, at, uh, we're at Namto podcast, N-A-M-T-O podcast. Um, and just tell us what kind of nerd you are. What sorts of things you like to nerd out about, um, be awesome. Cause I like, I mean, there's obviously basically the stuff we talk about on the show are the things we like to nerd out about. Which is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of you stuff. Know? Like, and, and I think that's, we kind of draw off of too, the mainstream yeah. nerd culture nowadays, but there's so like what this is episode seven or something and just the fact that we can do that with stuff that's made easily available to us um and i think it's starting especially now that geek chic whatever is a thing um i i noticed in the past like five years how many zelda t-shirts i've seen oh yeah you know or star wars zelda and uh, and like honestly like even more mainstream than that i found are like um, Studio Ghibli shirts, mm-hmm. like they're they're everywhere, and right. like that's something I feel like most people would be like, 
cartoons for adults, really. And it's like, yeah, they're great movies. You should yeah. watch them. <laughs> and they're not just for adults, they're for everybody. Yeah, they're for everybody. So, um, but, but yeah, that's just a quick glimpse into what I found. Yeah, um, awesome. So I think, like, if I were to define, if I were to p- try to pick, like, my top three nerd, like, nerddoms, mm-hmm. I feel like I would be, like, video games, like, just generally video games, um, Star Wars, and uh, knickknacks. I love knickknacks, I'm too. a knickknack nerd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like nerdy knickknacks. That should be your new uh, Instagram handle. Nerdy knickknack nerd. Or just knickknack. Oh, yeah. Someone actually, a friend Alyssa did that. She wrote that on my Facebook wall. She's like, uh, I was like, oh, man, I, lo-. Like, I took a picture of like my, my, one of my shelves at my house. And I was like, I love knickknacks. And she was like, you mean knickknacks. Yeah. Like spelled like my name. Good one. Not with a K. I was like, oh, shit. That's exactly what I mean. Um, <laughs> I think I would list mine as video games for sure. Yeah. Um, books. Yeah. You know, but I'm combining like comics and stuff into that uh maybe not my number three but it's definitely prevalent in my life now i'm finding sound equipment and sound stuff it's you know when i'm looking at new microphones and everything even though it's expensive right um but yeah it's like the whole editing and stuff yeah for sure i mean you can be like you said you can be a nerd about anything anything it's just being passionate about it it's being passionate about a subject and not being afraid to show that enthusiasm to people, um, which I love. Like, I, I love that. Like, I'm very unapologetic about how much I love Star Wars or how much I love Harry Potter. Yeah, I don't think you should be apologetic. Like, I I feel like I dress like Harry Potter to work, like, <laughs> mm, I want to say at least, like, 20% of the time. Yeah. Like, 20% of the year, I dress like Harry Potter. <laughs> Even, like, in the summer months, I don't wear a sweater, but I still wear, like, a white shirt and my Gryffindor tie. Yeah, there you go. So. <laughs> um, and I may or may not have a wand in my desk, so. He does. I've seen it. Watch out. I've seen Nick's wand. <laughs> uh, I think we can get down from our soapbox now. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, let's talk about some nerdy stuff that we that we checked out for, for retro games. Um. This is all you, man. You introduced me to it. This is... Okay, the first thing we're going to talk about is this game. Um, it's for the NES. And it's, it's... It sticks in my mind from my childhood. I felt very nostalgic playing this with you the other night. It's a game called Solstice, the quest for the staff of Demnos. Um, it is it, insane. It's an insane... So it's, it's a game that came out in... It was released in uh, 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released on the NES, like I said. Um, and it's a single-player puzzle game. Um, and just a little... I just want to give you a little background on the game because I don't, we didn't, I don't think we really talked about it when we played it. So, no, because you had to concentrate a thousand percent. You really do. It's really, it's really it's hard. It's so hard. And it sticks in my, it sticks in my head so much because I'm pretty sure it's the only game I've ever played that I've not beaten. It, and like, and it's, it's probably because I only played it when I was a little kid. Um, like I'm sure now, like if I actually sat down and took the time, like I'm off this week, I'm probably going to beat Solstice. I don't know, man. Let me know if you do, because yeah. I'll be impressed. Because it's not just the puzzles aren't just hard, right? There's so much timing and jumps that you have yeah. to make, and it's yeah. Literally, the only thing you can do in this game is jump and pick stuff up. Yeah, you can't attack. There are enemies. You can't attack them. But then you can jump and drop something that you're holding and jump off that. Right. You can jump and drop a block on their head and then jump on that block. Uh. 
Um, but you can't touch the enemies themselves. Um, so I just want to give you a little background on the game because, um, uh, well, you and I are both like lore, like video game lore nerds, too. Right. Um, so I was actually looked at this lore some, is awesome. Some of the lore yeah, I was of, looking at it too. Did you look into yeah. it too? Awesome. Yeah. So um, the game occurs uh, as one might expect on the eve of the winter solstice, mm-hmm. um, and Morbius, <laughs> the malevolent, um, kidnaps Princess Eleanor um, of the the kingdom of Arcadia, um, so that he can sacrifice her and become the evil Baron of Darkness. I don't know why we always need to capture princesses. To kill, to sacrifice them to become evil barons of darkness. What else would you kidnap? I mean, could you capture like a townsperson that no one's gonna miss? No. Like, I feel like a princess is really high, high profile. Like, exactly. That's why. <laughs> everyone's gonna notice you. You need that them. royal blood. Yeah, I suppose. Um, and princess is probably easier to kidnap than the king. Yeah, that's true. She's just hanging around constantly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and with so, her tiger right? on the balcony. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You swing him with your magic carpet and snatch her up. Yep. Easy peasy. Um, so in the game, you play as Shadax the wizard. Shadax. Which, it always bummed me out that in the game, you're wearing like this thick right? purple robe. Because I saw on the cover. But right on the cover, he looks badass He's a Hercules wizard. He's Thor with a wizard hat. Yeah. Like a shirtless Thor. His, his robes are flying hat. open. He has an eight pack. Yeah. It's amazing. No shirt, just huge giant muscles like I, this long blonde beard and flowing golden hair. After I looked, like I looked into it after we played. Yeah. And I was like, is that who, is that supposed to be who we played as? Because yeah. that's nothing like. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's who we're supposed to be. But in the game, you're just like this little purple wizard. Yeah. <laughs> With no facial hair and no eight pack. No, because everything's tucked in the robe. Yeah. Um, so you play um, Shadex, the wizard, um, who has to infiltrate Morbius's fortress um, and rest. Castle Rock? Castle Rock. Which I like the little um, accents. They I, I spelled them. it out just because it looked yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, just uh, so you can rescue the princess. So, um, did you look uh, in, in, into any um, like the lore behind the the staff too? No. Okay. So I looked into some of that too. So, like the point of the game is to collect none. By the way, none of this lore is covered in the game. Oh, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Isn't you have to collect the six pieces, right? Right. And put them together on the winter solstice. Yeah, on the eve of the winter solstice. So, um, the who someone in the past took this staff. And broke it into six pieces, and then they hid it in the one place Morbius would never find it. Castle Rock. His own fucking castle. <laughs> but, I was like, that's really fucking stupid. <laughs> um, and they're like, but, we made it invisible, except for once every hundred years on the eve of the winter solstice. <laughs> so I it mean, just happens to time out that you get to go yeah, to the like castle it's, and get Yeah, there's staff. definitely holes in it. Yeah. But for the 90s, I feel yeah, like it's a pretty, that's pretty intense yeah. lore for... Yeah, exactly. So you have to go around and collecting these pieces of, of this staff to reassemble it so you can um, go, fight, uh, go fight Morbius and get the princess back. But the game, again, like you can only jump and pick up stuff and drop stuff. Um, you can use potions, too, um, which there are four potions. You can use a blue, a purple, a yellow, and a red. I never got a potion. You start with full potion. Well, I never use a single one. Yeah, because they're hard to use. 
you can and you <laughs> the game set is set up you don't know what the potions do ever it's so good like you have to figure out how the what the potions do and remember um like one of them freezes time one of them makes you invincible one of them like in deletes all the enemies from a room um oh, i'm trying to remember what the other one does only other one reveals um hidden platforms oh right i remember that one um yeah, so like you start off with full potions, but then yeah, they don't teach you how to use them. And there's a map in the game, but it only shows you the room you're in. Yeah. <laughs> um and which is just like a block. Yeah, and there's like 250 rooms and you have to remember where everything is. Uh, it's so, so hard. It's so hard. It's, it's so, so awesome. Hard. I just remember like playing it I was like, this is so intense mm-hmm. for the most intense. And because usually, I mean, NES games can be intense, mm-hmm. like Mario and stuff. It's oh, very yeah. like arcade like, but this was just, I couldn't hang, man. Oh, yeah. I couldn't do it. It was so, like, I remember I have distinct memories of like as a child, because we didn't own it. My uncle owned it. But distinct memories as a child going to his house and like, can we play Soul Stick? <laughs> It's an awesome game. Gotta beat this game. Yeah. So, what else? uh, What else did we do for this this week? We watched War Games. Yeah, we did watch War in the same night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. It was the same night. We just had a a retro game night. Which War Games was a good choice because it ties into our last topic as well. Yes. The book that we read, but we're not. It's not here nor there. Right. So, just quick, some. uh, we mention this every week. Um, we're going to talk about the movie War Games now. This movie came out in 1983. So if we spoil anything, it's your fault. So, right, like spoilers, but we're going to talk about the whole movie. Just go see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you haven't seen War Games by this point and you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not going to watch War Games. Can, can I be honest? Yeah. This is my first time watching War Games. Okay. I'd never seen it. I, I'd seen it. Okay. Um, I think I had a Matthew Broderick marathon. Yeah. <laughs> and like watched like War Games and well, Ferris Bueller and like Lady Hawk. He, I haven't seen, I want to watch Lady Hawk. Is a good movie. Is it? <laughs> yeah, we should watch that. Uh, I thought about bringing that up because that's also in the book. Oh, yeah. That it was, is. Yeah. Um, the book's so awesome. But guys. yeah, like that book made me realize too how prevalent Broderick was. In that yeah. early nerd culture, too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, like, even in Ferris, like, in this, in this, um, in War Games, in, like, Ferris Bueller, like, he plays these geeky, nerdy guys, but he plays, like, they're, like, they're still cool. Yeah, the cool, the cool, geeky, nerdy guys. Cool, geeky, nerdy guys. Um, who are super, like, into technology. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing, that's why this movie was so perfect for yeah. that time because this is when everything was right flourishing as far as computers and right. tech. Um, but th- this movie actually made Congress address cybersecurity even more. Good after they saw that movie and they realized how uh, like auto dialing and stuff could really lead to huge um, security issues so then they oh, made yeah. the, the uh, i don't remember what it's called the like cyber fraud act or okay. some something like that 
but yeah. I was when we were watching it again. I was I was just thinking like, I I wonder if the filmmaker had any like subconscious notion that like this would be um like a propaganda film against hacking and like pirating right um, video games and stuff i don't because that's the uh, that's the that's like the point of them like that's how he gets in trouble is he's trying to hack into a video game company's computer network right to learn about new video games that are coming and out. he almost ruins the world and he almost starts world war three <laughs> it's awesome it's pretty sweet um yeah so i mean do you want to give a synopsis of the the movie or Oh, man, I don't know if I'm... Okay. I, I can try. Uh, so, we have David, played mm-hmm. by Matthew Broderick. Yep. Who is, like you said, the nerdy, young hero of our story. Um, it starts off with the typical, shows his capabilities of hacking. Mm-hmm. He changes his and his uh, love interests grade. Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy. Yeah. Um, Arguably the hottest of the breakfast club. Yep. (laughs) I didn't even realize that was her for a while. It's crazy. Um, But then he does his hacking thing and then there's a new video game coming out. Yeah, so there's a game coming out and he's like, oh man, I want to find out what it is. And Um, so he tries to hack it and somehow he gets into NATO, right? Yeah, so he finds... The fo- he finds Anora, the name so. of the company um, and, like, finds the area that they're in. And he sets up his computer to auto-dial computers, like, computer phone numbers, until he, like, links up with the one that's controlling that company. Right. Um, so he can uh, get into it. But he stumb- accidentally stumbles upon, right, this NORAD supercomputer. But he doesn't know it. But he doesn't know that. He thinks it's the gaming company. Right, he thinks it's the gaming company because this computer has been set up as a military simulation um, uh, computer. So it's just set up to run, constantly run um, games and different wartime scenarios um, and then learn from them. Yeah, it's early AI, basically. Right, because they want, like the movie opens up with two guys entering the NORAD station and getting a like oh that's a right drill, like, and having a drill done where it's like we're being bombed you need to launch these missiles and like the one guy can't do it um and so uh they're like the whole point of like the start of the movie is based around them wanting to give this supercomputer control over all yeah. of the nuclear weapons <laughs> that NORAD has which is a terrible idea, oh, yeah. especially if a 17-year-old kid can hack into your computer right. system accidentally. Man, this... Can you imagine if he was trying to hack into it? I know, right? I went to uh, IMDb. Mm-hmm. Man, this movie is chock full of fun facts. Is and it? I love fun facts about movies. What kind of there, fun facts? There's a whole list of them, but I just kind of took away some. Yeah. Um, so that the NORAD set... Mm-hmm. In that day, it was the most expensive set ever made. Wow. Up to that point, it was a million dollars. Holy and shit. And the, the whole thing is the film directors couldn't, they didn't have access to NORAD, so they had no idea what it looked like. What it looked like. Sure. So they made it up, and this was way more complex than what the actual NORAD what session What the actual NORAD looked like. And uh, the di- <laughs> director, um, he was like, our set is basically the real NORAD's wet dream of itself. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> that's really cool. And there's a scene where David is in science class or something, and he makes uh, an asexual reproduction yeah. joke. Yeah. I didn't notice it in the movie. Oh, you didn't catch it? But uh, you can hear the crew laugh at it. Because because they didn't know the punchline of the joke. Oh. Because it was supposed to just be like the kids in the class laughing. But yeah. uh, I read that if you listen real close, you can hear like clear adult laughter. That's funny. And he, they just decided to leave it in there. <laughs> that was a great joke. Um, the supercomputer is called uh, Whopper. Whop- yeah. I, I can't remember what the acronym stands for. Yeah, I can't remember either. Um, but it was made out of wood. And painted. <laughs> this is so cool. It was yeah. painted a metal finish, mm-hmm. and they had the designer of it sit inside of it with an Apple II as the display screen, typing in the countdown what? for the missiles. Yeah. So there's a guy in this wooden, like fake computer, typing in. That's so cool. Isn't that awesome? You, your keyboard skills better be on point. Um, <laughs> this is cool too. So there's. Scenes where Broderick has to play Galaga and yeah, Galaxian. I think is that right? Wow, he, I know he's playing. I know he's playing Galaga for sure. But either way, Galaga in the other game he was playing. They sent those machines to his house two months prior for shooting for him to practice. I want that movie role. Right, but like that, <laughs> like that's cool because he actually had to be that because they didn't have the technology back then to right. really fake it. Right, to fake it. So he had to actually he be actually that had good. To be really good at, yeah. I wonder if he's still really good at Galaga. Like I wonder. Pro- if, uh, I don't know. I wonder how often he plays it. Yeah, I like. I'm. I'm imagining him like having. I don't know if Sarah Jessica Parker would let him have one in their house, but like having a Galaga machine like in his basement. Like, like, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he has a little war. War games like corner yeah. or room I'm, or house or war games house. War game house. He yeah. bought the the NORAD station. The NORAD is, set. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, what's in here? Your garage? Oh, that's NORAD. <laughs> the last one I wrote down just because I'm uh, a geek of this nature. Yeah. Uh, Professor Falcon, who was the mm-hmm. designer of uh, Joshua, Joshua or supercomputer, the supercomputer. Yeah. Um, he was supposed to be portrayed by Stephen Hawking. Well, that's who he was inspired by. Okay, and they approached him, but like nothing. Happened. But then he was originally cast as uh, John Lennon. John Lennon was, was going to play him. Was supposed to play him. Oh. Right? How awesome is that? That would have been really cool. Oh, I'm bummed out now. I know. Man. He would have been perfect. He would have been really cool as that in that role. Yeah, but there's like. There's like two pages full of just like random. And that was like, on IMDb? Yeah. And okay. there's like another one where, uh, like you said, the whole auto dial scene. Yeah. Um, instead of the typical 555 fake area code, it was 314 or one something like that. Three, yeah. I can't remember. But uh, that was okay because that area code is not used or will never be used by a actual number. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out if it was because of the movie or they did it was already because it's like sure. 411 or 911 yeah like you just can't use those numbers in sequence okay um interesting yeah but that's really interesting oh man uh oh that's so sweet um yeah so like the the yeah the movie is it's a it's a it's a fun movie and like 
Um, I don't know. Part of me just likes that he he hacks into this computer and he's presented with a list of games like chess, checkers, tic tac toe, backgammon, poker, uh, theater wide biotoxic and chemical warfare, right? <laughs> Global thermonuclear war, and he's like. Yeah, I'm doing that one, and I'm being the Soviets. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty realistic. Yeah, because everyone wants to be the bad guy at some point. That's true. Everyone does like being the bad guy. Except for me, I hate being the bad guy. I can't be the bad guy. I'm real bad. I'm very bad. We've, at we've it. already talked about when I have to be a betrayer in a game we play. <laughs> right. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, so he starts playing the game like th- global thermonuclear war. Which, first off, I'm like, why do you want to do that, Matthew Broderick? That's how you get irradiated, irradiated wasteland zombies. Like, is that what you want? Because that's how you get it. It's glo- global thermonuclear war. Oh man, I should know since we that's talked how you about get, it. That's how you get six drink, six drink samurai. When did um, Dawn of the Dead come out? Do you remember off the top of your head? No, not that I'm. I wonder if it was before this. Oh. If they would even, if zombies would have been even a prevalent. That's true. Yeah. It's just a random tangent, yeah. but. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then he like he doesn't know though that this is happening. Like he thinks it's all a game, and then he turns off his computer, and obviously it shuts down at Nora, and they're like, "Oh, it's gone now." Um, but then he gets arrested by the FBI and escapes the NORAD secured base on a tour group. <laughs> He's a super hacker. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he can open doors and walk out them and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm just here for the tour." They're like, stay with your group. How old was he? Like, was David's character supposed to, supposed be? to be? Like seventeen or eighteen. Okay. Yeah, because um, he was no, a senior. He's got He's got to be at the oldest, like seventeen, because he's like, I can't go to jail for this. I'm a minor. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, but then they're able to, like, they go, they go get Falcon, and then they go back to the na- to uh, to uh, NORAD, and they are they're able to stop this computer, which now has the uh, capability to launch actual nukes. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, they're not doing it, um, because they're like, no, it's fake. Don't do it. Um, and it's like, fine, I'll do it. Right. Um, because that's the whole premise of why right. Joshua exists is when people can't do it. He does it. He does it. Um, and they're able to stop him by having him play tic-tac-toe with himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brilliant. And he's like, oh no, the only winning move is not to play. <laughs> oh man. Like yeah, that's the only way to win a war, to really win a war, just not to not to go to war. I mean, even though we just told you the whole movie, it's worth watching. It's worth, especially if you're a Broderick fan. Oh yeah, absolutely. Baby Broderick. There's and there's if for no no other reason, there's a remote controlled uh, pterodactyl in it. That's right, (laughs) man. I keep forgetting all these things. There's all these like weird little things in it. Yeah, go check it out. It's a fun movie. Um, Um, man. But I like I just love how you hear like he was this kid was arrested. Like, almost started World War III, was arrested by the FBI, escaped a heavily fortified NORAD base, went back to the NORAD base, got the computer to stop launching nuclear weapons, and everyone's just like, ah, good job, kiddo, and like yeah. rubbing his hair at the, right. <laughs> at the end. It's like, you know, you're under arrest. Oh, I remember another fun fact yeah. that I didn't write down, but I just remember it. Um, the computer that uh, Broderick's character, David, had mm-hmm. they got it from somebody and they lost the instruction book so they couldn't access certain things oh, no. but broderick uh manually programmed it what? to do it and he saved like the shooting day holy shit 
Who are you, Matthew Broderick? Right? This is great. Right? These are great Easter eggs. I wonder eggs. what his Galaga high score is. Yeah, that's true. Does he have a Twitter? He might. We should, yeah, we, we should, should tweet, tweet him. him. Be like, hey, what's We your, talked about War Games. What's your Galaga what's your high Galaga score? Galaga high score. <laughs> that's happening. Yeah, War Games are definitely going to do that. Um, yeah, so that was, that was uh, uh, War Games. Really fun movie. Um, definitely worth checking out. Absolutely. Even though, again, even though we just spoiled the whole thing. <laughs> but it's one of those, like... It's, one of those, it's an 80s movie. Yeah. Like, you know that it's not going to blow up the world at the end anyway, so... The clothes themselves are reason enough to watch oh, it. yeah. And plus, um, like, again, Ali Sheedy. Yeah. All right, we got to get moving, man. Oh, yeah, right. dude. Um, What's our last thing we're going to talk about? Um, I'm so excited. It's such a good book. Ready Player One. Ready Player One. When you, to be honest, when you, when we talked about doing this, yeah, I knew a little bit about the book just from what you told me, and I was like, isn't this book about virtual reality? Like, that's not retro. It's not retro at all. Uh, And then I read it, and I was like, this is the most perfect thing for this. It's so good. Oh man, it's so good. Yeah. Hopefully, everyone here has already read it. Yes, it's like we're gonna we're gonna try not to spoil. Everything. Yeah, we're gonna do the unheard and yeah. watch our spoilers. Normally, normally we spoil everything. We're gonna try not to do that in this game or in the, in this segment where we talk about Ready Player One because I want people to go read this book. It's amazing. And I mean, it's <sighs> only it's been out for about five years, so, right? But I think feel like it's still a book that like not a lot of people have read. I mean, it was a New York bestseller. I, yeah, I um, but I think it's starting to get more. I attention because so, they're um, making a movie out of it right but <laughs> like because i was at the bar reading it trying to finish it up uh yeah. the other day and one of the guys that walked in he was like oh man that's an awesome book like yeah. i read it like you know like a few months ago yeah um but yeah so i think it's starting to pick up a little bit yeah i hope so um um you want to give a brief? Yeah, so this uh, Ready Player One is a dystopian, futuristic sci-fi novel. Um, takes place in the year 2044, um, where basically um, there's been a huge like energy crisis. Um, everybody lives um, basically in mobile homes stacked on top of one another in like these enormous like junkyards. Like most of the world is a is a, like a wasteland. It's terrible. Um, but so everybody lives in these terrible places but um i mean there are still like nice like nicer apartment buildings and things right um they're they're, super expensive it's really expensive um and um but nobody lives in the real world anyway because this console exists called uh the oasis which is basically like uh it's this enormous um mmo um that that Everything takes place. In. That bled over into everything. Yeah. You know, dating, it, working. Right. Uh, People yeah. date on it and get married on it and like have like families and lives or, in it without or, ever meeting yeah, each other. Yeah. Um, or actually seeing each other because right. you like can just make your character look however right, you want. Right. Look however you want. Like and um, right. They go to school in it. They go to work in it. Um, and they, like you get credits within it. Um, and it's it was developed by this uh, programmer. Um, named uh, James Halliday, who made the whole thing free. The entire world is free. Um, it's like you need a console to access it, but um, like our main character, who's a high school student, um, Wade Watts, uh, he 
Um, really, he really only goes to school because he gets a free console from school. And he's he's poor, so he can't right. afford it himself. Right, he's super poor, so he can't afford like a nice system himself. Um, so yeah, so everybody lives basically in this MMO. Um, it's basically like if you're a fan of World of Warcraft, it's like your wet dream. <laughs> There's actually a World of Warcraft world yeah, within the Oasis. That's my favorite part about this. So it's like it's this whole universe that was created, and everyone has like a spaceship that they can fly to different like planets of, that are like just based on like certain and genres and stuff. It's just pop culture full. I yeah. mean, the Firefly ships, Fireflies in there. Yep, there's a Firefly. Uh, X Wings in there. Yep. You know, everything. Yeah. Like there's there's D D planets. Yeah. It's just tons of that. And like I was gonna ask you, like, if you what what world do you think you'd spend the most time on if you lived in Oasis? World of Warcraft. The world of Warcraft. Or Destiny if it was a thing. I would I probably would spend time in Destiny. D D um, would be is is up there too. D would me. be fun. Yeah. Um I feel like I would spend a lot of time in like Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Destiny. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's see. I would do Destiny. It will come back to me on that. Yeah. Let me think about that. No, no, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so uh, but the whole point of the, the, the book is um, this guy, Halliday, when he died, um, he was a huge buff of like 80s pop culture. Um, and he when he died, he basically left these Easter eggs hidden in this universe that he created. Um, that no one, like no developer or anybody, even his partner who helped him create yeah. Oasis, had no idea it existed. Yeah, nobody had any idea that any of these existed. So he programmed these things into the game, and people had to go. Um, he was like, okay, there's three of them. First person to find all three uh, gets all of my money and gets complete. Right, this is after he dies. Yeah, after he dies. Yeah. Gets complete creative control over Oasis. Like, you own Oasis. Then. Right. Um, so like, there's like these people who, and this was years before this book starts. Oh yeah. Uh, f- five to 10. I can't remember. Yeah. It was a while. It was, it was a while ago. And like most people, like when he, this first came out, like this, with this premise of find the stuff and you get all of my money when that was first like, uh, announced, like people went crazy for it. Um, but at this, at the point the book starts, like that's died off. Um, and there's only like, because it's really hard, It's really hard. There's only like the few diehard people who are left who, um, of course, Wade is one of them who spends all his like free time looking around the world, looking for clues, um, which is cool because as his character, yeah. he much rather be doing that than right. And cause like he kind of lives with his aunt, yep. but she kind of hates him. Yep. Uh, so he's never home. Uh, yeah, but Correct me if I'm wrong. The credits in the Oasis are pretty much one for one for real life currency, right? right. Yeah. So you so you can buy things within the Oasis and have them sent to you in real life. Right. So your currency in Oasis is directly right. correlated to how much money you have in the real world. Right. And he like he doesn't have a ton of money in the game either. Right. Um. Because like you have to pay for you have to pay for stuff in the game. Um. He could. He could. He couldn't even leave the first planet, the education planet, yeah. because he couldn't afford. Yeah, he couldn't afford like transportation, transportation to get there. Um, but uh, so, yeah, but um, he happens to one day stumble upon the first Easter egg, um, which re- totally reignites like this search for um, uh, for all these clues. Um, 
and uh, you know he automatically gets like a ton of experience in the game, gets a ton of money, a ton able, of following. Yeah, like a huge following. Like he's able to get like move out of his aunt's trailer and like afford his own apartment, afford um, give back his school system and afford his own like state of the art like enormous that, that's like, one of the cool sensory system that's the cool thing it's like yeah you can operate this system with just like a pair of the goggles and gloves like that's yeah. how you control your movement and everything but if you have the money you can buy these whole they call them haptic suits yeah that are tactile on your skin and make you feel things in the world right and I like the idea of having the treadmills too that yeah. you have to actually run for your character to run and yeah. everything uh he just did such a good job of setting up everything in detail. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's this whole evil corporation mm -hmm. that wants to win the Oasis and start charging for it. Yeah. Which is totally against what Holiday wanted it to be. Right, exactly. So, yeah, so they, they actually hire, like, a fleet of these people who only search, like, their whole job is to search for these Easter eggs. Um and like the the whole game, like or the whole book, they're like trying to recruit Wade to um, uh, come work for them. And they're like, "You work for us, like you'll still get to use it for free. Like once it's all finished, like we'll take care of you and all this stuff." But it's like, yeah, but then that completely ruins it for everybody else. So obviously, he's not going to do it. Um, and it's run by this guy um, Sorrento, um, is like the main the main antagonist in the in the in the book. I feel like we should draw the line here. Sure. About how far we talk about what happens. Yeah. As much as we can. Um, and just kind of pick apart what we have. Yeah. Certain things like I really like. Um, so just like in modern RPGs and online games and stuff, like everyone has their own like avatar and like username and his is Parzival because so Percival was taken already, which like, um, uh, obviously, it's a very common occurrence in games nowadays. Um, but he's na he named his character after the Arthonian knight who goes off in search for the Holy Grail, um, right. which I thought was pretty cool. Um, Super awesome. Yeah. Um, I This book made me realize how much I love these kind of things based off of video games. Like, yeah. It reminded me a lot of Sword Art Online. Okay. Have you seen that at all? It's mm -hmm. kind of the same virtual reality RPG. Yeah. Um, but it touches so much, like so well on the details of an R MMORPG, which I'm a huge nerd of. Yeah. And I love MMORPGs. So it brings back my wow days and everything. Uh, but yeah, it it was like crack, man. Like as soon as I started reading it, oh yeah, like as soon as, I couldn't stop. Yeah, it's like as soon as you get past like the first couple chapters and like stuff actually starts really happening. But even then, it's not bad because he's explaining, yeah, the oasis. And, well, at least for me, like it's like this is. I wish this was real. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. I absolutely wish the oasis was real. Right, that would be amazing. I'm still trying to think of my. Got it. Um, Destiny. D&D, uh -huh. D &D, uh -huh. uh, 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 Game of Thrones. Oh, shit. Don't go to any weddings on that planet. Oh, I will. <laughs> and I'll save everyone. Save everybody. Um, You'd show up to the Game of Thrones weddings in power armor and uh, with a shotgun. <laughs> well, that was the thing, too. Like, that was really cool. He, 
the game had restrictions, right? Yeah. Like there were zones called chaos zones where you could use fantasy weapons and guns. Yep. Like everything goes magic, yep. technology, everything flies. But then there's also zones that you can only do, you know, technology or right. magic. Or only do magic. Um, and there's PvP zones. There's yeah. non-PvP zones. I thought it was awesome. Well, there were, and there were also zones where if you died, like that was it for your character. Like, well, no, I think that was that was the whole thing. The whole it deleted your avatar. You could you could create a new avatar. That's why people were so like hesitant of doing things, Um, because if your avatar died, you lost everything. Yeah, it didn't mean that you got kicked off. You just have to start a new avatar. New avatar. Um, But you lose all the gear and everything. Right. Um, And I've talked uh, to you about this before. Yeah. I love cool items. Oh yeah! And there's so many cool items so in this much book. Awesome shit in the game in the, in the book. I keep calling it, I keep calling it a game because that's that's what it, it is. It's yeah, a game. Yeah, it's. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited for like like we said they're making a movie. Yeah, out let's of talk about this. They're making a movie about this out of this book. Um, and Steven Spielberg is directing Thank it. Thank God. Thank God. Which so it should be pretty good. Um. I, I was really nervous. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, they're going to make the movie out of this. Yeah. And I saw Spielberg's name on I was like, okay. Okay, good. Makes me feel a lot better about better. it. I'm still nervous. Still nervous because I'm always nervous when bo- when books that I love are adapted to movies. Um, like, I mean, I was really nervous about, like, the Harry Potter movies. Right. Um, but it's like, yeah, I'm like, at least with him at the helm... I, I'm feeling better than if, like, somebody else had been put my, there. But My biggest worry is with how long this book is and how much happens inside of the book, how are they going to make it into one movie without it's, losing a lot of the main it's content? It's probably going to be a trilogy. I hope so. I, it's probably going to be a trilogy with, like, each... Because the, 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 um, the Easter... Like I said, there's three Easter eggs you have to find, so it'll probably be split up between each of those three Easter eggs. I can see them doing that. Yeah, if they did it right, because I feel like the first and second Easter egg are pretty close together, they are pretty right? Close together, yeah. But I hope, man. Yeah, um, but yeah, but then there's a huge amount of time between the second and the third one. Oh yeah. Um. So um, have they casted anybody for this? They've cast a few people. Um. I'm trying to remember. I'm pulling her, it up right now. I'm trying to remember her name. The girl from uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Um, she's playing um, uh, Artemis, um, which is uh, she's a she's a female blogger in this world who Wade kind of has a cyber crush on, um, and then um, once he starts becoming. Uh, like once he he's he's the first person to solve this Easter egg, and she's like right behind him. Um, so like they kind of like she's very hesitant to team up with him. She doesn't want to team up with him. My only thing against her, uh-huh. she's too pretty. I feel she's like. really pretty. Um, and it's like and that's what I loved about Artemis. Like yeah. not that she wasn't pretty, like describe right. pretty in the book, but she's very uh, non traditional pretty. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. She's very non-traditionally pretty. And one of the things I like about her the most in the book is um, that her avatar looks like her in real life. Right. Um, so she's like, she's like, she's like, no, like, this is who I am. This is this is what I look like. 
um, which I thought is also is was really awesome and a good like um, positive self image. Oh man! Sort of thing. I just saw who they're casting as Sorrento. Who are they casting? And it's perfect. Who is it? Uh, ben Mendelsohn. Oh, okay. Uh, he's yeah, in like yeah, Dark yeah. Knight and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's he he's sweet. yeah he'll be perfect and like I said before it it's rumored that Gene Wilder will yeah. play the guy who created the Oasis which is perfect because like one of the main reviews on this book that's actually written on the book right. is Willy Wonka meets the Matrix right oh. which is a perfect description of this. This, oh. of this book but oh, yeah that would be amazing i actually we I, I you asked me before we started recording like um about the casting and like who who i would cast in them in the movie um so i just wrote down like a couple of the main characters and that's actually um interesting about um sorrento because i didn't know that they had cast anybody for him yet uh-huh um and the person i put for i put i put gene wilder as, as halliday like if they can get him he'd be the perfect he, yeah he belongs there um but for Sorrento, I actually thought it would be interesting if they cast um, like someone like Will Wheaton in that role. Like I could see him doing someone it. who's really like prevalent in the book itself, like in the lore of the book. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like he is like one of the head council leaders or something. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's he's right. actually he's, he's in actually, the Oasis. That's, right. that's that's right. Exactly. I totally forgot so about he, that. So he he probably will be in the movie. He'll probably be in the movie yeah. as himself, as which himself is amazing on the council. Um, that is amazing. Um, for um, um, H, which is um, Wade's best friend, which is Wade's best friend, who is um, don't ruin anything here. Oh, that's true. I can't. Never mind. I'm not casting. I'm not casting H then. Oasis H, because avatars differ from. What I cast, I have to. Completely... You, you can tell me later. After. Okay, I have, to, um, I have to completely rethink this then. What about Wade? Um, honestly, I was thinking because I was thinking like who in Hollywood nowadays could fill that role, like could realistically be cast in the, as this right. person. Um, and like the first name that came to mind was um Ansel Elgort from like Fault in Our Stars and. Um, okay. Um, Again, he's kind of too he's, pretty, he's, man. He's too good looking. No, oh, exactly. And I completely, I completely agree with that. Is that he's too good looking? Um, but the same thing with um, Artemis. I would cast um, uh, Aaliyah Shawcat. Like that's that's how I pictured her in my head when I was reading the book. Who's that? Um, she's uh, John Michael's cousin on Arrested Development. Mm, not not big. Maybe I'm not a big buff on. Arrested Development. Okay, here I'll uh, I'll pull up a picture of her for you. But um, I I just I thought like again like she's the person um who when I was reading the book um like kind of who I pictured um this this Artemis looking like. Uh, can I tell you who I'm thinking about for Wade? Yeah. This is tough because I don't know. I don't think I've seen him in a super serious role. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I have two options. Okay. Clark Green is my number one. Okay. Uh, he plays Clark in The Office. Uh, he's like that nerdy. 
not super fit, not super like. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think he has that charming personality enough to pull it off. Sure. Uh, I don't know if it would be the same. <clears throat> like that's the thing about this movie. Are they gonna do the same actor for the Avatar and the real life character? Right. Because I'm trying to remember if his his Avatar looks like him. A little bit. Just like and more muscular. Mu- yeah, like I think taller and thinner. Yeah. Um. But I was also thinking of Josh, uh, Josh Gad. Oh, okay. He wouldn't be like as young. Sure. A little bit older. Uh, but yeah, when... but like that, that kind of, that's the kind of actor I was thinking of. For... Yeah. Cause I mean, he's supposed to be, I think I'm trying to remember in the book, if but... he's, if he's described as a chubby guy or a thin guy. I think it varies throughout the book. At the beginning, he's chubby just because he is always in the oasis. But then he starts kind of keeping up with stuff. Yeah. Um, Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah. No, that would make sense. Um, (laughs) Well, actually, it's and it's interesting we bring this this up, too, because currently um, and I try to verify this as much as I could. Um, but I found it on multiple like news sites um, and everything uh, uh, and multiple like nerdy blogs. Um, if you are interested in being in the movie. Oh, yeah. Singers, yeah. Yeah. They're actually taking auditions. People can film their own auditions um, or like why I should be in the movie sort of thing. Um, and upload them to YouTube and send them to the casting director, which is awesome. And there's actually there's only three roles left that they're that they're hiring for. Um, oh they're, man, they're are hiring um, for uh, uh, Shoto and Dato, which are two guys that um, one's a Chinese guy, one's a Japanese guy that that Wade meets um, uh, in the world. And the other one that they're hiring for is wade watts the main character it's amazing so did they already cast i rock i think so dang it that's the one i would go for yeah (laughs) yeah so like there and the cool thing about like the casting like the casting description for wade is like someone who is 18 like can play 18 to 19 years old um so someone who looks a little bit younger and someone who is either overweight slightly overweight or slightly underweight I might qualify for that. Yeah, you would qualify for that, dude. You should totally. I should. Should totally fill out like film a film a video of just. <laughs> I just want you to. I want to film a video, an audition video for you of you wearing gloves and like an Oculus and just sitting on your couch like. No, get him. Uh, no. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> like wiggling your fingers. That's it. It's like. This has been my audition for Wade Watts. Right. <laughs> All right, we're running out of time here. Yeah, dude. Yeah, come to a close. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, so... What would, you, what, what would you rate it? What would you rate it? Ready Player One? Yeah. Uh, I am going to give Ready Player One... A three-up green mushroom. Nice. I'm going for... 13 perfect pac-man games oh shit nice done perfect <clears throat> yeah go check it out again we, we try not to spoil as much stuff as we could like aside from mentioning some characters and things it's an easy read it's an easy read yeah if you like video games if you like pop culture um go check it out it's a great it's a great read um 
and it'll go really fast for you. Like, I think I read it in, like, two days. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, sweet. All right, awesome, house, house cleaning stuff. Yeah, thanks so much again for listening, you guys. Um, hope you liked the episode. Um, if you like this, like, little bit of, like, history backstory stuff that we're doing, again, like, we like it because we're lore nerds. Um, but, yeah, let us know if, uh, if you're liking that stuff. Or if you hate it, just let us know. Or if you hate it, yeah, let us know. Um, you can let us know by emailing us at nickandmikeytakeon at gmail.com. You could let us know in a review you leave for us on iTunes, um, clicking some stars yeah. and, uh, and, and leaving a review, uh, but also subscribe while you're there. Um, uh, you could let us know if you like it by uh, sending us a tweet, uh, tweeting at us at Namto Podcast, N-A-M-T-O Podcast on Twitter. Um, and if you want to get a hold of me directly, you can tweet directly at me. Um, I'm at Nick Weirsome. Um, that's N I C K W I E R S U M on Twitter. So, right, and uh, gonna apologize because I'm gonna get this up as fast as possible. Yeah, uh, things are kind of going crazy right now. Yeah, uh, so my editing is lacking a little bit, but uh, hopefully, in like either by the end of tonight or tomorrow, I'll sure. it up. Sweet dude. Uh, yeah. So, hey guys, guess what? We actually decided on a theme before we started we did recording. It. We did it. <laughs> we took notes this time. We decided on a theme before we started recording. We got our shit together. We're, re- for this we're reacting to all your reviews that yeah. you've left us. <laughs> Just kidding. You didn't <laughs> yeah. leave us any. Just kidding. You didn't leave us any reviews. Um, so, Mikey, what is our theme for next week? Next week, we or next episode, we're doing aliens. Aliens. Alien. And it's yeah. going to be a broad one and ridiculous. It is going to be a broad one. I think we might have to get a guest star on, uh, on this episode. I've got, I've got someone in mind. Don't tell me now. I won't. It's probably Sarah. <sighs> it's not Sarah. Hey, Sarah, do you want to be our guest host? <laughs> Just a she, giggle. We can never get her to react. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, you guys. See you next time. Get yours.